Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 176 of The Draft Analyst. Presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And for our last episode of the month of February, we will have another great guest for you on the show. We'll talk to our second Senior Bowl offensive lineman in three weeks. Two weeks ago, it was Quinn Miners. And this week, we have Nebraska offensive lineman Brendan James joining us. Now, James is a player we've discussed a few times on the show this year. We discussed his stellar performance against Iowa in November, plus how he looked at last month's Senior Bowl, which also qualifies as a pretty stellar showing. Am I right, Tony? Yeah, sure was. I I mean, James is a guy that was incredibly durable, four-year starter at Nebraska. We'll talk about that with him. And a guy who was good. It wasn't wasn't just somebody on the field. I mean, he was good, showed some versatility, and at the Senior Bowl, showed up every day and, you know, did what he had to do. And with no combine this year, it's ironic because – uh, the time that Chris and I are taping this show, talking to Brendan James, I would usually be in Indianapolis taping our first show during the combine. But with no combine this year, you know, the senior bowl, as we spoke about, took on more importance. And for James to perform the way he did in the three days of practice, uh, th- that was that was major. And that's really going to help his draft stock. Now we'll get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on those sports is at betonline.ag. Now looking to our usual NFL draft odds, Zach Wilson, now a far bigger favorite to go number two than he was last week after another report that more than one team now has him ahead of Trevor Lawrence. But moving on to pick number three, it's actually a toss-up right now between Justin Fields and Panay Sewell at about two to one each. I, I think the odds makers better put Jamar Chase up there as far as the potential third pick of the draft. When you look at the Miami's needs, you look at the type of player Jamar Chase is. So we'll see how that uh, pans out as we move closer to the draft. In addition to sports, Bet Online covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, my go-to, the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, it's our pleasure to welcome onto today's show offensive lineman Brendan James from Nebraska, made 40 consecutive starts for the Cornhuskers, most of them at left tackle, but also a bunch at right tackle earlier in his career, which we'll discuss a little later in the interview brendan welcome to the draft analysts and thanks for joining us yeah thank you guys for having me. brendan uh thanks for joining us we've enjoyed watching the past four years at nebraska i know i i really enjoyed watching your three days of dominant practice at the senior ball which is a topic that we will get into tonight so we'll have some fun talk about your college career talk about where you are now and and your future hopes in the nfl perfect that sounds great all right and kind of starting back before college even came about, you grew up in Austin. Speaking of which, our thoughts go out to you and, and any friends and family that you may have in the area with everything that's going on down there. We hope everybody's safe and, and doing well. Um, 
obviously you played football in high school. I know you did play a little lacrosse and toss the discus around a little bit as well. Were you a Texas fan growing up or did you have a different favorite team, whether college or pro? Um, actually, growing up, I was a huge Notre Dame fan. I don't know why, but uh, me and my dad, we always liked uh, that university. And uh, whenever we could watch him, we would. Um, and then also, I guess in the pro level, we were huge Cowboys fans. Um, my, my, my mom, she wasn't a huge Cowboys fan because she was a Saints fan and she hated the Cowboys. But, um, you know, I think we set our differences aside and, and <laughs> we all we tried to watch in a humane matter on Sunday night. That's cool. Speaking of Notre Dame, last week we had Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book on, who I, I know also joined you at the uh, Senior Bowl. So that was a lot of fun. Now, I got to ask you, you threw discus in high school. Did you also throw shot put or were you just solely discus? Uh, I did throw shot for a while, but um, I found out I was a lot better at discus. So that's what <laughs> I kind of pursued later on in my high school career and uh, ended up going to regionals with about a uh, 175 foot throw. So I was wow. pretty, pretty happy with that. Uh, that's a huge throw. Now, did you throw uh, at Nebraska at all? I didn't. Uh, actually, didn't <laughs> didn't even really cross my mind uh, about throwing disc. But I feel if I had to do it all over again, I would at least try it out. You know, that's, the reason I asked that is uh, uh, last summer, summer of 2019, <clears throat> we had one of your former college teammates, Carlos Davis, uh, on this podcast, and I believe both he and his brother besides playing defensive line for uh, Nebraska, were also discus throwers. I believe uh, Carlos, I, I think, medaled in the NC2A finals in discus, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Um, but that, that was a real cool experience for them. Um, the fact that they're playing two sports at the level that they're playing at, you know, it's, we had our good laughs here and there and, and just try to cheer them on whenever we could. You know, is that something you guys ever discussed, obviously, with you having the experience of doing it in high school and then doing it at the college level? Is that something that you guys kind of were able to bond over in addition to, you know, working in the trenches together every day? Yeah, it was always competitive between O-line and D-line, obviously. And so whenever we could compete, uh, we would. Um, I never really threw in college, so I couldn't compete in that way. But I'd always try to brag on my high school days. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we discussed some teams before. Were you more of a Big Ten or a Big 12 fan growing up in terms of conferences? Um, I didn't really pay too much attention to that, especially as a kid. I just liked watching football. Um, Yeah, the whole conference thing didn't really hit me until, like, I was later in high school. Leaving high school, you had offers from all around the schools all around the country, but you only visited Nebraska. What made the Huskers the right fit for you? And were there any other schools that were in serious consideration? Yeah, I mean, I had offers from pretty much the whole Big 12, but um, I kind of I, I wanted to leave Texas. You know, I'd, I'd grown up in Austin pretty much my entire life and just wanted to experience something new. And I also wanted to play in the Big Ten, you know. Um, so Nebraska was my first Big Ten offer. Uh, I scheduled a visit for the spring game. Uh, they sold out 90,000 people for the spring game. And, you know, that was <laughs> that was enough for me. You know, uh, definitely wanted to play in front of that atmosphere. Got to know the tradition of being a offensive lineman at Nebraska and wanted to be a part of that. So, you know, when Coach Frost and his staff came in. They did a great job developing me and, and ultimately made me the player that I am. So forever grateful for them. So you said you weren't a real conference fan growing up, but, you know, going to Nebraska and seeing all that made you a Big Ten fan real quick. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and after seeing that atmosphere and uh, figuring out the tradition of being an offensive lineman at Nebraska, I mean, it's just something that I couldn't pass up. So I wanted to take advantage of that and, and just kind of roll with it. Now they say, you know, Nebraska fans are some of the most educated, respectful fans in the nation. They travel well. They're respectful to opposing teams. I remember uh, when Nebraska played, I believe it was USC in, in the national title game at, in the Rose Bowl years ago, and they got hammered by USC. The USC players talked about how the Nebraska fans never booed, and all they did was just remain quiet. And then even a couple of years ago, I, I don't know if you, were at, if you played in the game, but uh, Nebraska opened up against UCLA uh, at, in Lincoln, and it was a time. It was right after one of the UCLA, play, UCLA players had died, and it, you know, first game of the year in Lincoln. The teams are, are are announced, and the Nebraska fans just put some put an impromptu uh, remembrance or celebration for the UCLA fan for the UCLA player who had just recently who passed away over the summer. I mean, it was it was class all the way through. And that's what they say about Nebraska fans. So I could understand why you would be so taken by what you saw at the spring game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, win or lose, you know, um, the team is going to get an, an, an applaud. And, 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 you know, I don't think they booed very much throughout my career. So, um, you know, they stay for the most part, you know, they, they all stayed loyal. Uh, we, we tried to work as hard as we could. Unfortunately, in my time there, you know, the record didn't show our hard work, but, uh, you know, they're, they're with us through thick and thin, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for them. Moving on to your career at Nebraska, um, you play your freshman season. I think you started nine games at right tackle. Um, you went from actually a potential redshirt that year to earning that job. Uh, Mike Riley was then fired after that year. You guys went four and eight. What was it like, you know, not only going from, oh, I'm a redshirt to taking over a starting role, but then after that season, ending up going through a coaching change after just one year on campus? Yeah, it was tough, you know, being the, the first time being away from home as an 18-year-old. Uh, you know, I had some some big decisions to make, but, you know, ultimately I committed to Nebraska and I wanted to play for Nebraska. And, um, you know, that's kind of the decision that I stuck with and, you know, stuck with it and ultimately tried to make the best career out of myself. And, um, you know, I think I did that. I think I did what I needed to do. And um, now it's time to move on. But, you know, I don't think that, I have any regrets with my decision. You know, I, I wouldn't change it. So I'm happy with it. After Riley's released, Scott Frost is announced as the head coach of Nebraska. What was it like? What, were the, what was the feeling like knowing that a, a Nebraska legend like Scott Frost was taking over to be the head coach of the program? Um, it, was, it was definitely a, a, a cool experience, you know, to have – someone like that who's, who's been through it, who knows how to win, um, you know, coming into this program and, and, and really bringing an attitude of grit and toughness and, you know, um, things like that, things why I went to Nebraska. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't ask for a better coaching staff to have come in and, and, and replaced, um, you know, Coach Riley and his staff and um, Greg Austin, the O-line coach. I think he's a great coach, even better man. And, and, you know, I love playing for him for, for my last three years. So I wouldn't change it. How difficult was the transition for you going from right tackle under Mike Riley and staff, then to left tackle under Scott Frost and the new staff in 2018? 
Actually, it was pretty easy. Um, I I was kind of out of place at right tackle my freshman year because the 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 past two years in high school I'd played left tackle, so that's what I was kind of used to. And then not only that, but um, the style of offense that Coach Frost ran was what we ran in high school. So I was back in my old position and pretty much back in my old playbook. So I was definitely a lot more comfortable in my, my sophomore year. Early part of your career at Nebraska, you brought block for Adrian Martinez, uh, you know, a run pass option quarterback. Is it difficult blocking for a, a running quarterback like Martinez when you don't know if he's going to be in the pocket, taken off a field or, or, or what he may be doing with the ball? Um, sometimes it is. Yeah. But other times, you know, it's, it's, it can definitely bail you out. Um, you know, so I'd say it's like 50, 50, um, you know, so, sometimes they, they, you know, you, a guy gets around you and, and he, he's able to escape. And then other times he leaves the pocket when he's really not supposed to, and it gets you in trouble. So I'd say it's 50, 50, but you know, overall I had a great experience with Adrian. Um, he was a hard worker. He was very dedicated to what he did. And, um, you know, he was a great fighter as well. So, in other words, if a guy beats you on the inside move, you're happy that you got a quarterback that can run like Adrian Martinez, right? Absolutely, yeah. He'll, yeah, he'll, he'll bail you out sometimes, I'll tell you that. Now, you were Nebraska's offensive MVP in 2019. Not an award that's given that often to non-skill players. What were your thoughts when you found out about uh, receiving that honor? Um, I was definitely proud, um, proud of my accomplishments that I had made that season. Um, I think there were a variety of guys that could have gotten that awards. You know, I, I worked very hard to accomplish that. Uh, 2020 comes around and COVID hits the United States. What was the feeling around and, and Nebraska really was at the front of the programs that were that wanted to play? So let's start from the beginning. COVID hits, it's springtime, spring football. What was the feeling around the team during, during the early months of the pandemic? Um, during the early months that it was just going to blow over. Um, we were going to schedule spring ball for a different time. And then we were going to roll it right into camp. And that, that, like, that was going to be it. Now, Nebraska in particular, as Tony kind of mentioned, very vocal on wanting to play the season in 2020 even talked about switching conferences after the big 10 initially announced that they were postponing the season was moving to another conference, something that was discussed by you guys as a team. Um, it, it was hard to say, you know, there, there was talk here and there. Um, as a team, I don't think it was talked about enough to where we thought that was going to be a serious decision. I think it was more of an idea than it was like a set in stone decision, in my opinion. Now, eight of your teammates actually sued the Big Ten about the decision to po postpone the season. And I got to tell you, there were a lot of people rooting them on uh, because of the fact that we wanted to see the season. And the reason the lawsuit read the failure of the Big Ten to hold a vote on the purported decision to cancel the 2020 football season is a violation of the governing documents. And the decision should be declared invalid and unforeseeable. Were you privy uh, to this, uh, to this idea that your your teammates were going to sue the Big Ten over the postponement of the season, uh, I really had no idea. It was it was a lot of underclassmen that had kind of brought that up to our attention. Um, so I really knew nothing about it until it was kind of out in, in the media. 
Um, like, like I said before, you know, I heard whispers here and there about that they were going to do it or if they weren't going to do it. And with it being like a legal lawsuit, I kind of just, me personally, I just kind of stayed out of it and wanted to see what happened. Now, there are a lot of parents in the Big Ten who are very outspoken over the conference delaying the season. Did Nebraska in particular have a loud group of parents? Uh, I would say so. You know, when, when you have fans as dedicated to the program as we do, um, who just want to play football in a safe environment, you know, like, like other conferences were doing, I think, yeah, you know, you had a lot of parents and a lot of fans speak their mind, especially on social media. But I think, I don't think we're the only ones either. So, um, you know, I, I do think that we did have parents that did that. But like I said before, we, we weren't the only ones. Eight games into the season, you chose to opt out. You skipped the, the Rutgers matchup and you announced you're going to prepare for the draft. Was there anything that kind of fostered the, the, the timing of that decision? Was there any, you know, one thing that you said, okay, now my, the rest of career is over, time, time to move on? Well, yeah. Initially, it was over. They're, they're, I mean, the Rutgers game wasn't certain. You know, that was a 50-50 game on if we were going to play it or not. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I gave it my all for the regular season games and felt like I, I did what I needed to do, and it was time to move on. Um, I, I, I didn't really want to sit around and, and wait to see if maybe or maybe not if we were going to play the Rutgers game. So made the decision, you know, you know, told teammates the decision. And then shortly after is when um, the Rutger games was going to be on. So um, it was kind of unfortunate timing. And I can see why people might have think that I quit on my teammates. But, um, you know, as long as my teammates know and, and my coaching staff knew where, where my head was at and my, where my goals were, then I'm perfectly fine with that. It's an understandable decision. So I, I got to ask another question. Was it difficult to play in a season where you weren't sure that the next game was going to take place? You weren't sure that, you know, your opponent was going to have enough scholarship athletes or there may have been too many COVID positive tests. Was it difficult in that sort of week to week sort of scenario saying, hopefully we'll be on the field Saturday, but we may not be on the field Saturday. Absolutely. I mean, going into a Monday practice, um, not knowing if all the hard work you're about to put in is not going to be shown on Saturday. That's a tough thing that get guys motivated to go out there and still practice hard. And, um, you know, that, that was definitely a challenge that us older guys had to, to motivate some of the younger guys and even some of the older guys to, you know, just kind of keep our head down and do what we do. And if we play great, if we don't, let's look forward to the, the next week. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was a very difficult thing for us. Now, in your four-year career at Nebraska, who would you say is the toughest defender that you faced and, and went up against on Saturday? Oh, man. I mean, there, there were several. You know, I, I chose to play in the Big Ten because I felt like they had better defenses than, than a lot of other conferences. So, I mean, between Bosa and Chase Young and um, – Shaka Tony from Penn State and, and the defense and Espinosa from Iowa. I mean, all those guys were, were extremely difficult to block and it was a full game battle. And, you know, I won some, they won some. Uh, it wasn't one-sided. Um, but I'm glad that I did it because it showed that I could hang with those guys. And, and some of those guys, if not all of them, are in the NFL right now. So, I mean, I mean it just 
proves that I can I can hang at that level and play with those guys. Not only were they are they in the NFL, but a lot of those guys were very early picks in the NFL draft. So you know that is basically a, almost a, a Hall of Fame uh, Big Ten defensive line that you name. There are at least a Hall of Fame uh, defensive line from the from the past fifteen years. Uh, your 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 career at Nebraska is over. You're getting ready for the draft. Do you remember when you got the call to the Senior Bowl, and what was that like? Or the call to invite you to the Senior Bowl, and what was that like? Yeah, I mean, I was actually here training, and it was in between workouts, and I got a call from from Jim Nagy, and uh, you know, he told me that he was excited that to say that I was going to get invited to the Senior Bowl, and it was kind of out of nowhere, and um, I was just so excited and, and, and blessed to be able to have been chosen for, for, for this bowl game. And, and, you know, just especially in a time like this with, with COVID and everything, I was just so blessed to be able to get the opportunity. And, and I just wanted to take advantage of it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, I was really happy, really excited and wanted to show what I had. How different was the offensive system that was implemented at the senior bowl compared to what you did at Nebraska? Uh, I mean, the scheme was different. I mean, it was a pro-style offense compared to a spread offense at Nebraska. A lot of the vocabulary was the same, especially on the offensive line that we used at Nebraska. So um, that was that was an awesome thing to see. So really learning the playbook wasn't extremely hard. Um, it was only a fraction of the, the whole playbook, however. So, um, you know, I don't think it was meant to be hard, but, you know, I didn't have too much of a problem picking it up. Now, you had three terrific days of practice at the Senior Bowl. I mean, you really stood out at a variety of positions. Let me ask you this. Who were the toughest guys, the toughest opponents that you faced in one-on-ones during the game? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my very first rep at guard ever was against the defensive line MVP, um, Osa from from UCLA. Um, That was my first rep ever at guard, and, and, you know, uh, it's safe to say that he got the best of me on that one. Uh, <laughs> um, but other than that, you know, edge guys, uh, Weaver, I believe was his name from, from University of Pitt. He, he, was, he was a, yes. Yeah, he was a real athletic dude and, and had a variety of moves in his toolbox. So he was, he was pretty tough to block. Um, I, mean, I mean, overall, they were all real tough to block, but those are the guys that kind of stood out to me. Now, we actually had Quinn Miners on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he also mentioned – Osa Ozegidua as uh, the toughest guy that, you know, he was able to go up against. Can you kind of go into more detail about what made Odigizua so difficult to go up against in practice? Yeah. I mean, he just had, he, he, first of all, his, his football IQ was, was, was very high. You know, he, he knew exactly where to be and, and when to be in that spot. Um, so that was difficult in itself. The second is, is he's, just like everybody else, he was fast, strong, and a physical uh, run stopper. Um, so that that was he, he was very difficult to to move with the ball. He had a very low center of gravity, and um, I mean, in the past, he was he was very quick, had a great inside move, and um, and, and and could take it outside on you as well. So uh, it was just a complete overall player. Uh, loved going up against him. Uh, Kind of show, kind of opened my eyes that there was other people outside of the Big Ten that could really play, and uh, just grateful for that opportunity. So, 
obviously that's something you learned at the senior bowl that, you know, there is a world outside of the big 10 with uh, some really good players. What else besides that would you say maybe is the most important thing that you left the week in mobile having uh, come away with? Um, the one thing that I, I, I came away with, with, with that week in mobile was that I was, I was, um, I don't know how to put this. I, I came out more confident, you know, going into it, you know, I had doubts and just, just, about myself as a player, and, and, and I think everybody did. Um, and I think everybody pretty much got better from that week, um, you know, in, including me. So I think the biggest takeaway was that I felt like I belonged with these guys, and I feel like I, I belong at the next level. Um, nowhere near where I want to be, but um, definitely, you know, helped my confidence and showed that I had the ability to play with those guys. Now, you said uh... – when you got the call for the senior bowl, you were training where you, where you're sitting right now, where are you training right now? So I'm at sports Academy in Agora Hills in California. And I'm, I'm, I've been training here for the past couple of weeks. It's a full, like, is there a facility for you to live there or do you stay at a hotel and you, tr you transport back and you commute back and forth? Yeah. I'm staying at a hotel right now and I just drive back and forth to the facility. How's the weather been in California? I can. That's one thing that I can't complain about. It's all. It's. I mean, it's always been sunny and seventy-five here, and and you know, if it's if it's chilly in the morning, it'll definitely heat up in the afternoon. So I, I can't really complain. Now, when is your pro day scheduled for? Uh, scheduled for March twenty-third at Nebraska. March twenty-third at Nebraska, and it seems like a lot of the schools are backloading or, or pushing their. Uh, uh, their pro days to the the bottom half of uh, March. Uh, only a few taking place in the first couple of weeks, so it's going to be a very busy uh, end of March. March twenty third. Do you have any marks that you're hoping to hit during pro day that you can share with us? Um, I mean, I guess in the forty, you know, I'd like to at least hit a a five flat. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a pretty big goal of mine. And then um, in the other drills, I guess, just compete with myself. Uh, I'm not really trying to compare myself to anybody else because that's not me. Um, so I'm just going to try to compete with myself and, and be the best me that I can be. So let me ask you this. What is a former 175-foot uh, discus thrower for left and right tackle in the Big Ten expect to uh finish up on uh, how many reps are you gonna you, you hope or you think you can do on the bench press uh i'm probably in the mid-20s right now i'd like to get more towards the high 20s if i can um but yeah I'd, I'd be pretty happy with with high 20s that's a good mark and brendan that's all we've got for you here tonight thank you so much for joining the show we really appreciate it and best of luck to you as the draft process continues to move along here yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks for joining us. Good luck on draft day. And more importantly, good luck with your next level career. I know you're going to be successful one way or another, whether it be uh, at left tackle, right tackle, maybe even side of guard. Uh, no reason why you can't continue the success that you had in the college level uh, in the, into the NFL. So best of luck to you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Now, before we sign off, we want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. 
With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for those sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 and above, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Now we're going to wrap up the show here and just quickly talk about our interview with Brendan James. Now, Tony, I know he's a guy that we've discussed a lot on the show this season. What did you think of how he came across in the interview? And was there anything that surprised you about what we heard? No, I mean, he seemed very loyal to Nebraska and basically a focused guy. He said he wanted to get out of Texas and wanted to play in the Big Ten. I mean, when you, you kind of forget, but when you ask him who the toughest players he played against, and then he mentions the Boses, he mentions Chase Young, you know, he mentions all that great talent, AJ Epinesa, and, and how he's done. You, you realize how good he is. I mean, because those are guys, I mean, Epinesa was what, the, the latest pick of the bunch, and he was a second round selection. A lot of people thought he was going to be a first round choice. But the Boses and Chase Young, you're talking three guys that were top three selections in the draft. So you kind of forget the amount of talent that he played against, and he showed up week in and week out, year in and year out. Yeah, and I was actually interested to, to hear the name Shaka Tony thrown in there. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've talked about Tony a bunch of times this year, and, uh, you know, it, it never really has been favorable because he just didn't really do too much. But, you know, to hear Brendan James include him in that grouping of players was, you know, sort, sort of eye-opening there, and uh, it was definitely, definitely kind of took me aback a little bit. Well, what we said about Shaka Tony was he disappeared for stretches. Now, there were games where he was dominant. But what would happen with Tony was he'd be dominant for a game, and then he would disappear for two or three games. I guess the time he played up against <laughs> Brendan James was one of those times was, was one of his dominant performances. We knew we know that, Tom, that Tony's a real good pass rusher. He's very athletic. The issue was he just kind of disappears. I guess he reappeared uh, against Brendan James. Good thing for Brendan. Yeah, and hey, maybe uh, maybe it means that that Tony's going to go. Maybe certainly, I mean, not first round or probably even second round like the Boses and the Youngs and the Epineses, but you know, maybe we're in for a little bit of surprise if uh, you know other people feel the same way about Shaka Tony and have seen kind of the same things that uh, that Brendan James saw on the field. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, James is not uh, the most artistic. He's not the prettiest. He doesn't have great footwork, but all the guy does is he gets the job done. He uses great fundamentals. He gets the most from his ability. He uses his hands well. When I watched him at senior ball practice, continually blocking with good knee bend and terrific pad level, a smart, tough guy. And those types of players go a long way at the next level. And that's it for the 176th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and provide any feedback you may have as well. Special thanks go out to Brendan James for joining the show today. And we'll be back next week with more NFL draft coverage and likely another interview for all of you out there. 
Until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.